Howdy folks, Anthony Derone for the Death Parade Film Festival, announcing that Left Coast Entertainment Group has become a sponsor once again for our festival and the podcast throughout the year of 2023. Uh, we are excited to continue our partnership with this up and coming studio, and uh, we're going to have some exciting things uh, coming down the pipeline that we can talk about in February. Um, this is a film house to pay attention to because they have some exciting works uh, that are in the stove right now that we can't wait uh, to see what comes about. Uh, you can visit them right now, leftcoastentertainmentgroup.com. Uh, they're also on Instagram. You can find them at Left Coast Entertainment Group. Uh, go ahead and follow their Instagram, visit their website, and also keep it locked here because we're going to be announcing a whole bunch of stuff, hopefully throughout the year, uh, with Left Coast Entertainment uh, that I'm sure you guys will enjoy. So let's go ahead and fire up the interview. Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Grim and Bloody Podcast. This show is a presentation of horror, thriller, and suspense, and is intended for mature audience. Join us at your own risk. Well, thank you for joining us on the Grim and Bloody Podcast. Uh, as uh, usual, I am Kevin Nicholson, horror uh, writer for HorrorNews.net, We Belong Dead magazine, Scary Monsters uh, magazine, and Cinema of the 70s and Cinema of the 80s. Uh, and with me is the usual crew, the cast of Usual Suspects. Hey. I've, got, uh, I've got Anthony Durand, the, uh, the founder of Desperate Film Fest of Northern Hello, California everyone. and the producer of our show. Anthony, how are you doing? Good. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing fine. I'm looking forward to uh, to this show in yes. uh, particular. We have Joe Flynn, um, award-winning creativity horror show host. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great. It's going to be the 24th year for uh, for uh, uh, for the Joe Flynn show. Is that right? That is correct. Coming, Coming up, up this year, 24 Park. years. 24 years of doing uh, of doing this, and Al Omega the equally uh, renowned award-winning horror show host for the creature features show seen everywhere on various streaming platforms and a roku channel and i think on youtube and others al how are you done i'm holding up i don't know what i'm holding up other than my pants but i am holding up something <laughs> okay you don't know what's holding you know what's holding know what you up. up okay I'm mostly sugar and caffeine right now so uh there you go well, with us today, we have absolutely a very special guest uh, with us. We have author Sylvia Day uh, joining us. Number one New York Times, number one USA Today, and number one international best-selling author says well, okay. the uh, says the promo uh, material. Uh, she is. 10 times the New York Times and 13 times USA Today bestsellers. Uh, and she is here to talk with us about uh, her latest, which is the beginning of a duology, uh, which is called So Close. I'm going to tell you right up front, folks, this is an intense psychosexual chiller. Uh, she doesn't hold back on, uh, uh, on anything and we'll get into it very much. Sylvia, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You guys are, uh, you are, you are awesome. And I'm going to tell you that, like I said, before we started recording, this was kind of the equivalent of the concussion, uh, hitting me mentally as if your book was the linebacker that was uh, had me square uh, in their sights and just rammed me into the turf. Uh, this is a, a book that doesn't uh, you know, hold back. I, I could give like a brief like plot description, but I try not to give anything away because I want people to read this. Uh, it is a jewel of a, uh, of, of a book. Essentially, this is about a wealthy family who a pharmaceutical um, empire, uh, I want to say a pharmaceutical uh, company family that uh, whose president has a um, has a beloved 
uh, wife who has apparently uh, passed away in a boating accident. And he becomes obsessed with keeping up her, uh, her memory, uh, keeping her belongings exactly as they were in their home in, in their home and, and, uh, you know, making sure the room even smells like it's just had her, uh, you know, in it. And this goes on for six years. And all of a sudden, six years later, he runs into somebody on the street while he's riding in his car. That could be a dead ringer for her. And is it her? She seems to recognize him, but then, you know, she runs away, it seems, and she gets involved in it. She gets hit by another car. And so that's where this book kind of, uh, you know, starts. But that's just merely the launching point uh, of this. Um, talk about kind of how this idea gestated with the, you know, with you and um uh where you plan to go from here with the next uh with the next uh you know book sure absolutely yeah. so the series i'm probably best known for is called the crossfire series yes and even though <laughs> even though that's five novels the time span covered in those five books is only around three months mm -hmm. so when i wrapped up that series i'm like okay so my next series I really want to explore a couple who has history, right? Mm -hmm. History, baggage, a longer length of time together uh, so that, you know, we could explore a little bit more of that dynamic after mm -hmm. the newness and the shininess is worn off. Mm -hmm. So it started out very innocent. <laughs> and then I was like, but the story I really want to tell is Rebecca, as in mm -hmm. Daphne Du Maurier's Rebecca. But what if wife number two was Rebecca. And right. the first wife was the one who was so sweet and wonderful and and all of these good things that Rebecca could never possibly be. I thought that would be totally fascinating. So that's where we get so close. And from your actual, you know, very lovely explanation of what happens at the start of the book, you can kind of see how, you know, how we get to that point. Mm -hmm. He's got, he cannot let go of the memory of this wife who was so perfect and wonderful that when he finds somebody who looks just like her even though her disposition is not the same and she's definitely more dangerous he's mm -hmm. willing to overlook those things and what's interesting is when you find out what it is what exactly are the more dangerous things about her and that's where the story just really gets juicy it really gets going uh you find out that this this woman she can be she seems like she can be quite the fatal monster uh or the fatal you know creature and uh or quite lethal and i kind of i to me you deal with you have one theme that's going throughout this uh, this book, and I would imagine it goes into the second one. You talked about about Du Maurier, and you talked about Rebecca, and I'll play it, make it simple. It seems like with every character, even in this book, it's about obsession. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and the obsession just 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 how it can affect people, crush them, change them, everything uh, you know about it. This is obsession. Yes, uh, all of them are focused on something so completely, and as you said, so obsessed with one particular facet of their life that everything around it and everything else in their life could be destroyed as long as they can maintain that thing that they're obsessed with. I find that really fascinating, that, that desire to have something so badly that nothing else, uh, everything else kind of pales in comparison to that in value and importance and right. in priority. And in fact, you have one of the characters uh, in it, the character of Amy, um, who is so obsessed with getting her um, social media empire, her business, uh, social creamery back. And she's willing to dance with the devil. 
Well, and in that case, it's not her company is kind of a representation, right? Yeah. Right. She, yeah. you know, she was she was independent and successful. She was on the rise. You know, she felt like she was in control of her life. And when we meet her, you know, after she's kind of been absorbed into the family, she's Kane's <laughs> sister-in-law. Yeah. Um, after she's been absorbed into this family, she's has no control over anything nothing like from what she wears to what she eats how she drinks you know what she does for a living uh, her business everything i mean she has she has no no decision making power whatsoever and she realizes that she voluntarily gave that up somewhere along the way and so she's got you know feelings of self-hatred for allowing herself to end up in this position that wars with the need to be empowered enough to set her life back right. So, you know, for her, the company is just the manifestation of my independence and my ability to get away from these people. <laughs> well, and she has a couple of breakdowns too, where I would, I kept saying to myself, if this were a motion picture, Susan Lucci would be doing, uh, would be doing the scene because she has some breakdowns. Uh, well, basically in the workplace, Amy does that I think, yeah, Susan Lucci would win a Daytime Emmy Award with that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with that. I'm, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Joe, you got a question? No, no, I was yeah. just going to say how, oh God, she must be hating life, you know, with that type of family. <laughs> Excuse me? I'm married into who? Never mind. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, I've had some interesting family, and I can totally get behind someone that's focused uh, on on something and really, really wants this to work, and is uh, dedicated enough to uh, persevere no matter what. That's a person often does very well in business, maybe not socially, their interpersonal relationships, but that's a person that might do very well in life, and. Uh, Someone might even call that a sociopath. Uh, was, were you looking for something like that or not? With Amy? Yeah. Oh, we call we call her Hot Mess Express. <laughs> <laughs> Hot Mess Express. I got to remember that one. Like and, I said, uh, right? Susan yeah, Lucci. And, like I said, Susan Lucci. <laughs> yes. And you, Kevin. <laughs> You know, she's having a genteel lunch with other ladies and, you know, she should be sitting there going, you know, look at this life that I live. And instead she's, you know, thinking about how she can, you know, rip their eyes out with her fork at the table. She's, you know, she's just a, a little bit off, our Amy is. I like her. her. Yes, everybody so far finds her to be probably one of their favorite characters in the whole series because she she is she holds nothing back yeah she does when she tells you she she can comport herself very well but in her mind she's disemboweling you and <laughs> and we just love her for that you know i just love her, the purity of her hatred for the entire human race of the purity of her hatred i love that yeah, you know, everybody's out to get Amy. And poor Amy is, you know, everybody's just put upon her. And that's just the way she looks. So everybody owes her a pound of flesh. She would like to take that, um, you know, on her own with a, with a paring knife. It sounds <laughs> like uh, it's Amy against the world, people. So watch now, out. My favorite moment with Amy, and maybe you could talk about this too, is when she first after she's done her sabbatical of of being a good family member and indoctrinated into this family and she finally comes back to the office place after a long time away and she finds out that somebody else is in her is now in her uh, in her corner office and she's been moved and her near like meltdown at finding this other guy in the uh, uh, in the office and her not realizing, not being told that she was moved. I thought um, th th if it was filmed, it could be a moment of like pure like dark comic where she would oh. be 
fantasizing about how she can uh, propel this gentleman out of the window and down 30 stories below without anyone noticing. <laughs> right? And yes. she shows up to work that day in her brand new baby pink suit. And yeah. I was just, you know, imagining her showing up to work in this outfit um, and feeling like she was in charge and, you know, things were going to get back on track and just having it just run off the rails at that point. Um, in my head, yes, it's extremely funny. And then when she goes into her uh, her new office, I think it was, and uh, I forget who she's uh, talking to, she's interviewing or she's, uh, dealing with someone, meeting with someone, and she opens up her drawer and finds it loaded with condoms. And, <laughs> and uh, her response basically was that she was, uh, uh, you know, her her her. Uh, her beliefs were uh, validated that her husband was fucking the sec his secretary, uh, you know, uh, basically, and uh, and and so forth. And I thought, yeah, that could be a good laugh, <laughs> right there. <laughs> Something out of a Desperate Housewives uh, moment. There, uh, there's definite, there's definitely a lot of soapy drama. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's that's what makes it so much fun, right? <laughs> you don't show up. You don't shy away though from uh, from violence and murder, uh, though. In this, and and that's where I I, I really won't get into it because that really happens towards the uh, the last portion of the book. Uh, but you don't shy away from uh, your description of you know murder acts and and uh, and you know, the violence that these people are capable of and, uh, and, and so forth. I, I think you kind of, I mean, it seems to me that you, you kind of not just envisioned or not just had an influence of Du Maurier, but maybe a little bit of Hitchcock as well, or a little bit of uh, Robert Block. Um, uh, yes. Because, yeah. yeah. Possibly, you know, yeah. uh, authors, you know, were inspired by so many different things. But, you know, in, in a moment where a character is going to take somebody else's life, I think, one, it's important for the reader to feel it, to smell it, uh -huh. to, to, to be in it, you know, to have that same visceral reaction. Either you're mm -hmm. going to be turned off by what's happening in that moment, or it might be an escapist thrill, right, to be that mm -hmm. person who's disemboweling somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is to be in their head at the time that they're doing it, you know, is, is it, is it right. premeditated, you know, in, in the, this case, you know, yes. I mean, the, the thoughts are so cold and precise and methodical and there's no, there's no emotion attached to the act whatsoever. Whereas, you know, someone like Amy, there's so much rage, right? And that's, you have to know that too, and be in their head too, at the moment that they're doing that that's going to be sloppier, right? And that mm -hmm. there's some fun to that too. Uh, but I, I just love, um, I don't know why, <laughs> but I just love just the, the thought of you've planned this for so long, you've plotted it like you would a book and now here's your moment and, and it, you don't experience it. You don't even feel it because you're just kind of divorced from what's happening. Um, and writing that and conveying that to the reader, but still having them feel the punch of it. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's right. super fun too. Right. You know, everyone talks about the horror of disemboweling somebody, but no one talks about how terrible it would be to be emboweled instead. You have someone come up and start shoving more intestines into your guts, which I personally would like to do to a couple of people. I'm waiting for that to show up in the book. <laughs> you now, know, mother and that's, that's so true. You know, one time I was trying to cut something open with a box cutter and it slipped and it went into my hand and I, the excruciating pain of having a sharp object shoved into a part of your body, I will never forget it. It, it just, it is almost indescribable. But yeah, being on this, the other side of the blade is not, is, is definitely, um, that's a horror. Well, let me ask you, kind. the talent that you are, you cut yourself 
with a box cutter in my had, house in your house in the pain that you're in you had to be thinking oh i've got to write this down i've got to write this down and include this somewhere in a uh, in what in one of my stories in my own blood, blood. No yes. <laughs> box cutters there's blood there's pain i've got to write this down in my in my household my sons and my husband will not let me cut anything when i'm cooking so if I'm making something for dinner, I'll go, I have this onion, this bell pepper, this, can you chop these for me? And then when they're done, I can go, because if they see me with a knife, the whole house panics. So I, <laughs> I'm not allowed to wield a knife in my household. <laughs> I guess, especially if they see a knife right next to a Robert Block book, you know, book or something like yeah. this, they might get an idea. Mom, yeah. it better not be near those butcher knives. <laughs> it, there's a scene, you know, at, toward the end of the book where huh. one of the characters impales a man in his genitals with a yeah. And my son, with my a what? Son a what? Came in, my, my son came tall. into my it's broken glass. It's a wine glass, isn't it? If I uh yeah 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 yes it's yeah. the it's okay, the stem of a broken wine glass yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um yeah. yeah i i just you know i was in the process of writing the scene and my two sons come in they want to know you know what's for lunch you know what are we thinking about that sort of thing and i said hang on a minute i gotta finish the scene so they're just waiting for her and I'm, you know, rapid. They're like, what are you doing? I said, listen, she's about to stab him in the dick with her broken wine glass. <laughs> and both of my boys just went stark white and their eyes got really big. And the, my, my boys are adults, okay? Oh, and they yeah. just looked at me and I will tell you, they will never look at me the same for the rest of their lives. I bet their reaction was instinctive, hands between their legs uh, and backing yes. away. And they just, mom, how is that in your head? I said, there's a lot of stuff in my head. There's a lot of people in here. This one just happens to be severing this guy's balls. But I mean, the, I, there's other stuff happening and that was it you know that was it and well, so yes. now they're, they're always like watch out for mom because she could she can do it i think she could well i'm guessing oh. at some point you must have watched some good horror sylvia or read I, some good horror yeah or you I, just I, watched I, the wrong cooking show at the wrong time that's right who knows cooking show's gone bad <laughs> with your host kevin <laughs> Uh, what you need uh, to do now is you show up with like half a, you know, a, a side of beef or something, and and, and sit there with uh, the wine glass jabbing it at them. You know, I'm doing research here. <laughs> and your kids come. Does this look better or does that look better? Get their opinion on what would hurt them most. And then I'll tell them it doesn't count because it's not a knife. <laughs> then you can I, use a, I will tell. I will tell people though. I will tell you guys. And the folks out there, that is not the only uncomfortable gross-out moment in the book. There is another which involves, uh, the, you know, the the recovery of a dead body, and you have a dead body that is missing, uh, well, missing a limb, and is, uh, you know, pulled from the water and uh and and so forth and i'm like i'm reading this and i'm having these visuals that i can't can't get out of my head even now uh you know regarding uh you know regarding this i'm telling you that if you make a film out of this it, it's going to be some people saying did she get influenced by george romero uh you know on this with all the <laughs> dead bodies well, that would be a huge compliment <laughs> Yes, but yeah, uh, 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 folks, there is a uh, there was a lot of horrific element in this uh, uh, in this book, and it, it's just something that kind of uh, kind of stays with you. Now, I, I did want to ask you too about one thing regarding the sexuality, uh, you know, in this. Um, you have a lot of description of sexual organs and uh you know cock dick 
mm-hmm. uh, clitoris and, and so forth, but you only use one word once, vagina. Did I only a, use it once? I it's only uh, that my my He's the was one that would numbering, I, my, <laughs> I was to say if there's anyone that was gonna know it was it's a gay kid. man with the, a gay man that would notice this. Yes. Yes. But okay, I, I noticed yes. that because I noticed that when your uh the characters refer to it, uh, it refers to it as their sex or their sex part or something like that. Or if, like I said, clear you only the, use vagina once. It depends on the character, right? Uh-huh. So Amy's Amy's really blunt about how she thinks of herself. Right. So in her scenes with her husband, she um she's a lot more graphic sure. as far as her word choice right um right. she's more x-rated um right. lily on the other hand you get the sense that um and it was meant deliberately to convey a sort of disconnection between herself and herself as a sexual object mm-hmm. because she was you know she was raised to consider mm-hmm. her sexuality something that she would use as a weapon or as a tool to achieve an aim to have it just be something that's just for pleasure between her and her husband is something that is she's still she's still trying to find actual intimacy in the relationship um considering that you know she feels really unworthy of this role that she stepped into of being his wife so she's trying to use her tool to be a tool (laughs) <laughs> she she's you know she wants to assume this lifestyle and this life and this marriage and this husband um and then on the other hand she also feels unworthy of it and not up to the task of being the second mrs black who is being accepted as if she were the first mrs black does that make sense yeah. So that it's a, a deliberate it's a yeah. deliberate choice. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. in in my body of work, yeah, I've called it everything under the sun, depending on who the character is. It's just vocabulary is a very important part of characterization. So that's why um right. that's you know, you'll notice that that the characters view it differently. Now, I loved one of my favorite characters uh in this was Aaliyah. Uh, which is who is the matriarch and to me she goes around she's you know uh, she is the older the elder statesman or the elder statesperson of uh, uh, of this family and she is, is quite let's just say she's quite you know terrified of losing what she's built and uh, she seems to be uh, kind of on a vendetta of going after Lily uh, and seeing her as like the ultimate threat against Aaliyah and her, uh, you know, her matriarchy, uh, you know, so to speak. Uh, is that kind of how you wanted to, uh, you know, to, to play that, that she's a direct threat? So Aaliyah to me is, um, she is the woman who believes in being empowered and she spends a lot of time in her head thinking about how she has to work so much harder to keep up with the boys, right? And you would think a woman like that would also want to empower other women. She is threatened by other women. Yeah. Men, she thinks, "I I can probably, you know, I could strategize them in one way or another, but women are just all out threats. They're Except nuisances. For um, so. Except for one sequence in, in there where she uh, where she tries to flirt with a uh, uh, gosh, it was an investigator who was a gay man. <laughs> oh, you just loved that all the heck, didn't you? And well, basically, yes, he did. Basically, she she literally says, "There's a hotel across the street." Uh, if we uh, we can get this done quickly, if you want, and he tells her quite frankly, I don't think my husband would approve. <laughs> oh, hey, it happens. 
Yeah, it's the 20th century. (laughs) She wasn't reading the room well. No, no. She wasn't, but her reaction was kind of priceless. Uh, You know, priceless to it. But, uh, so she is, she is feeling, you know, it's interesting. She's a powerful woman, but she is feeling threatened by other women. Yes. And then, Mm. of course, you get more toward the end of the book, you understand that her femininity, she feels, has been Mm. used against her. Um, Mm. And so she actually despises that about herself. And then, you know, if you hate the fact that you're a woman because you feel that that's a vulnerability, you look at other women and you think they're vulnerable, too, in a way that if for her, she finds disgusting. She can't appreciate it. She can't respect it. They're, they're all very interesting to me, um, like psychological archetypes, right? Um, of, of, you know, some of them have very positive aspects of femininity and some of them have very negative aspects of it. And, um, and sometimes they use that against other women. I find it very fast. I always say women could rule the world if we would stop cat fighting with each other. Um, but we can't. So, um, it's, it, for me, the big part of that book was those three women all trying to, to, if they work together, they could accomplish their goals, but they're too busy fighting amongst themselves that, that that's not possible. Uh, oh, I agree with that. Uh, you know, it's just like, like yeah, as you said, if women in your book would just, Hey, I realize if we work together, we can do this instead of like, oh, I just don't like your pink color on you, Missy. Mm. <laughs> you better be in black next time I see you. No, you know, I, there's a scene where Amy's having no. lunch and she's sitting there critiquing every woman in the restaurant from their hair to their makeup to their clothes all the things that they're just feeling horribly at. Um, and it's like, who has time for that? Yeah, hopefully you reach a, a level of maturity where, where you don't do that anymore, but it's no. very high school. This is, it's, you know, it's very high school, unfortunately. Now you managed to achieve something very uh, difficult in the um, framework of this uh, novel or how this novel is, uh, is laid out. You make each chapter um in the first person point of view of each of the uh different characters uh especially well i say you know i'll just say each of the different characters because you include wit uh uh the uh kane's man friday and security garden uh, and so forth but that can be something that would be that may be a difficult read for some people uh to uh to you know, to get engrossed was there was that kind of uh something that was personally important for you um so yeah the three characters wit amy and Aaliyah, are all written in first person present tense um it's the present tense that really throws people off right mm-hmm. um it's it automatically makes you discomforted mm-hmm. So that was, it was a stylistic choice, right? Okay. And then when you switch into Amy, uh, into Lily's perspective, Lily is, is in second person first, oh, okay. um, present tense. Okay. So her chapters are written as if they were letters to Kane, right? So, right. She, you know, she talks about, I looked for you, um, you know, I talked to you, that sort of thing, um, because of her obsession, right? Everything revolves around him. So it's really, you know, I'm, I'm telling you what's happening because, you know, you're the focus. Uh, and so that, that sort of switch in narration, when I sent it to my editor, I'm like, you know, I don't know if this works. Um, I, these were deliberate choices because I wanted the reader to feel uncomfortable at different points. Um, and you know that that's one of the ways in which you can do it. Uh, and my, you know, my editor loved it just the way it was, so we kept it. But it's unusual. Um, most authors will 
one, not have so many point of view characters and to not have characters speak in different um, points of view and so forth. Well, yeah. there is there is precedent, uh, you know, for it because absolutely someone yeah. like Bram Stoker uh, did his uh, novel in um, journal style, diary uh, style, which I'm sure many at the time back in 1897 thought it was never going to sell, and 125 years later, that book has never been out of print. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So many books that are, you know, are, are just lifetime books, right? Legendary books will always be, were ones that weren't expected to do very well. And it makes sure, you know, you have to wonder at the tastemakers, right? Right. The gatekeepers. But yeah, it, it depends on the genre, right? Too, what is more common um, or, you know, has, you know, there's a precedent for it um, versus... Um, you know, just just depends on what you're writing and what is considered customary. And one of the things that I've been working on for the past few years is to write in my genre, but to also experiment with stylistic choices that are more typical of other genres. And, you know, sometimes you know, that works out. And sometimes readers are confused by that. It, it's a risk, but, um, it, you know, storytelling is always, is always a risk. And it's, it's more fun for me to take chances than it is for me to play it safe. That's true. Uh, I have a question. I, I'm just curious. How did you start getting into writing? I knew I wanted to be a novelist when I was 12. And uh, that's because I finished a book and I loved it. And and I was so sad that the story was over and that I would not be able to pick it up and learn something new again. Like it was it was complete. And I decided in that moment, one that I wanted to write um, because I wanted to make people feel that way when they finished my books. <laughs> I wanted them to be depressed and sad and and, oh. you know, upset that there was no more to read. So that was always my goal from that point on, you know, when we had we had an essay in school just like a year or two later where they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to be a novelist. And uh, and my and my teacher kept me up. And there, there you are and, now. But, you know, I, was, I knew, you know, that's what I wanted to do. So, you know, eventually, um, you know, I, that was I was obviously very young. So there was school, there was college, I was in the military for a while. I got married. I had two kids. Um, it wasn't until I was 30 that I sat down to write my first novel. So in October of 2003, I wrote my first book and then I continued to produce work for the next six, seven months. And then they all sold to different publishers within a two week period. So I went from wanting to be published to being multi-published in less than a year. So it, it was just, um, it was just one of those things. I was really fortunate. Um, I had work on submission, of course, that was, that was eventually acquired by, um, by editors. But my, my, what I would consider my big break is that there was a contest that was being offered by another New York Times bestselling author. Her name's Lori Foster. And she would allow you to submit three pages of your book to her. She would pick 20 that she really liked and her editor at the publishing house would read them. So it was a direct connection to Kate Duffy, who is a legendary editor. She's sadly not with us anymore, but um, it was just a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I submitted three pages of a story. It was selected as one of the 20. And from there it was selected as the reader's choice and of those 20, um, I was the only one who was offered publication. So from that point forward, it, my career just took off. That editor acquired six books for me in less than two years. That's fantastic. Al, Kevin? I, I was actually going to say, uh, you mentioned the military. Uh, on my show, we're very big about talking about people's um, 
background on that. May I ask which branch were you in? I was in the army. Army, I would not have begged you for army, but to go from the army to be writing, people are gonna be thinking, what did she see while she was serving that this is what comes out of her? <laughs> obviously she saw obviously she saw somebody have their scrotum de- you know <laughs> you know dealt with and you have uh, to wonder it, the army was <laughs> did this happen in the middle east or was it in a bar downtown no oh was, man you yeah. guys are hilarious um, <laughs> <laughs> well now that, now that we've opened it up you got to say it was at a bar in macau or something yes. like uh, like this you you saw two guys getting drunk and going at it. One of them busted a, a, a wine glass and went to town on the other one's lower region. <laughs> <laughs> or you can leave well, the broken I wine la- glass out and, and, and say the same thing, and he'll love it. So They always <laughs> say the truth is stranger than fiction, right? Oh, dear. Uh, the truth is that I was a Russian oh, linguist interrogator. And I'm not allowed to talk about my military service at all. You are a cunning linguist. How's that one? <laughs> uh, we're in trouble now. We're going to have to go hide, everyone. Uh, the military is going to be nuking us in about 30 seconds. I got to fly. We, we apologize for the James Bond joke uh, that just, uh, uh, you know, just. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. apologize for a joke. Oh, see. Uh, so okay, so we've got uh, so close is out in March 2023 from Ronin House, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about what we can expect in Too Far? So of course, when we get to the end of So Close, all of these, all three women are in very precarious predicaments. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Aaliyah has just assaulted a man's manhood, mm-hmm. truly. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a bad way. Uh, it, uh, well, you have to read it. it. Would... You have to read. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Amy has discovered that she might not be all up, all together upstairs. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, Lily has proven herself to be as dangerous as Aaliyah has always expected her to be. So right. when we pick up with the second book, all of those actions have consequences and so now they have something else to fight um besides each other but they're not going to stop fighting each other i hope we still have kane around because i like yeah. him i <laughs> yeah. like him and he's he, a good you know, guy and you don't know about him either right because he everything about the guy seems suspect and and the what the circumstances of his first wife are not quite clear Mm. Um, so, um, yes, Kane is still there. And, yes. and Kane's going to be ending up on some soap opera as an actor, whatever. Well, and, and we do see in the, in the first book that Kane is not the doe-eyed, you know, uh, you know, lover who's just happy that she, that Lily 2.0 is back. Um, he gets suspicious as well. Yes, and, and he, yeah. he's a guy who acts on his suspicions. So, um, or or has or has wit his uh, his man Friday act on the suspicions, <laughs> right? I mean, we, I I love wit so much. <laughs> uh, he's a, he's yeah. he knows more than he lets on. I gotta I gotta ask you though, how many times in the course of the day though can you shave? Uh, because he seems to have this uh, this obsessive need for uh, uh, for for hygiene. Kane does shaving <laughs> every few hours. Well, so the, it's well, he shaves twice a day, right? First yeah. thing in the morning, and then late in the evening. Okay. Um, and because in the past, I dated guys who just their beards grew so fast, so they would leave the house. Yeah. Clean okay. shaven in the morning, and by the time they got home at five o'clock, they had a five o'clock shadow. Um, it depends on where your mouth is going at that point on whether chafing is going to be a problem or not. Kane has decided that he doesn't want it to be a problem. <laughs> well, I just like okay. where your mouth goes. Oh, and and by the way, I think today would be appropriate to mention that you have 
you have a special affinity for music in your book and you make references to the two that come to mind are Kansas and Credence Clearwater, which is special mentioned today because John Fogarty actually just wrapped a deal where he's now he now purchased the rights to all of the Credence Clearwater catalog going back the last 50 uh 50 years um and he's purchased it all and now he fully uh, owns it he purchased it from concord but what was I, I kind of think that in whether it's in movies or whether it's in books that music accentuates a scene or an emotion or a, you know, a setting was that kind of something that you looked for Yes, especially it's part of Lily's characterization, right? Right. So you have Amy who listens to pop music. Um, it's, you know, hip. It's now, you know, she's kind of the social media gal. It's, you know, what happened last week is not as important as what's going to happen tomorrow. So, you know, that's where she's at. Whereas Lily's music, the way she dresses, the music she listens to, um, everything about her is is from previous generation right right right. so um you get the you get the the sense that she's very vintage and part of that is kind of like she hasn't fully divorced herself from the mom who she believes actually wanted her to almost be a you know to live her life over again right like you have those parents that are like you're gonna realize all of my dreams you know her mom kind of took that to the extreme so right. you, you see that she is she's not really here today. She's she's really from another time. And that also ties into the fact that, um, you know, Kane's been missing his wife for six years. So, yeah, it was a stylistic choice. Absolutely. There's also, you know, I like to include things that I enjoy. So um, it helps me connect to a character. And in the case of Lily, who is, you know, we just really don't know much about her giving her things that I like personally was a way for me as the creator to connect with her, my creation. Well, I liked a Credence Clearwater. You included them into your book. You are great A with me. Yay. Uh, that is, that is just John, oh, John Fogarty is, is Come an on, icon coach, to me. me in. That's it. That's I, I, it. I, I, I need a hit. Oh, never. Born in the bayou, baby. That's. <laughs> and I grew up the uh, same town as him. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll you'll be happy. Like I said, I was tickled pink when I saw that Yahoo story about uh, he is finally able to purchase um, the rights to all of it, uh, and it goes. This goes back uh, some fifty plus years. That's amazing. That that is, and it, it belongs to him. It looks like the Beatles, uh, you know, library belongs to Paul McCartney. Uh, it, it just it's right. But, I agree, hundred percent. Right, Joe. Take okay, it out, take uh, us out, yeah. Miss Sylvia Day. Where can people find you if they're looking for you? Um, I always love it when we would be sylviaday.com. Not, not that we're inviting stalkers to look for we're you. We're going to send people to go find you. What? Yeah. But remember, I was a Russian linguist interrogator. You don't want to find me. Even my family doesn't want me to hold mine. That's right. Please, uh, you know, I I don't need to get a visit from her going like speaking in Russian going like, oh, I don't know anything. I'm an innocent co-host. <laughs> Believe me, you never knew he had. That's right. So sylviaday.com, huh? Yes, and from there you can find the links to all of my social media, and I'm in all the usual places. And this is, uh, like I said, this is coming out March 2023 from Running Books. I imagine you'll find it on Amazon and Kindle. <laughs> You will find it everywhere books are sold. And I'm really excited. A lot of the vendors have them on their um, most anticipated books of 2023 lists. So that is awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell you, some of you, some of you still dealing with, still, you know, just finished reading it. 
it is uh, an amazing experience. It's, it's a, something that you will think about long after you've turned over the final page. Uh, and I'm looking forward to too far and looking forward to possibly having you back. Oh, yes. I would love to. Yes, yes. I had a blast. Thank you, Sylvia. Well, and, and I have to give a special shout out to Lydia Rasmussen over at Smith Publicity for helping to put all of this together, uh, for putting uh, Miss Day in touch with, you know, through, uh, through her, we managed to get you on our show. And uh, it's been a fabulous, amazing time. I agree. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you, very, uh, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Al, you want to take us out? Thanks for being here. And as always, kids, <laughs> watch horror, keep America strong. <laughs>